Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm Maddie, your host, speaker, and very passionate speech-language pathology advocate. You are listening to the Speechless SLP series with Vanessa Abraham, and you get a unique perspective in each one of these episodes on her journey being the speechless SLP in the ICU bed, unable to talk. So welcome to this series of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Glad you are here. Sit back, take a listen. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. This is our very, very final bonus episode of the Speechless series, the Speechless SLP series. So I am here with Vanessa Abraham, our Speechless SLP, and her guest today, Shannon, an ICU nurse. Welcome to the both of you. Hi, this is Vanessa, Speechless SLP. Hi, this is Shannon. Thanks so much for having me on today. So happy you're here. These are such important discussions to be having, and I'm glad you came on because you were one of Vanessa's ICU nurses. And what an incredible position to be in. My daughter-in-law is an ICU nurse, and she just has these stories. So I'm so excited to be asking you some questions. Before we jump into those bigger questions, though, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. I am Shannon, and I've been a nurse for, geez, June 7th will be 15 years since I passed my boards, if you can believe it. And I am a mom to two kids, a 10 and an eight-year-old. I'm a wife here in San Diego, living at the beach and living it up. I just love being a nurse, watching my patients come in sick, barely even able to move and, you know, walking out of there. And Vanessa is that ideal story that you want. So yeah, I'm so excited to be here and share some of our experiences with everyone. She's the ideal podcast guest too, because she (laughs) just is like, yes, let's talk about all these things. So it's excellent. Vanessa, anything you want to add before we jump on in? No, Shannon was just an awesome team member um, that I work with at UCSD that I'm forever grateful for and so grateful that she's here to join us today and share her story and um, Mm -hmm. hopefully teach some new grads, new SLPs, some things about being a nurse in the ICU setting. So let's lay the scenario just a little bit. Can you Vanessa, describe to us, um, because I know you're keeping so many good details for your book, but describe to us, Bagley, you're in an intensive care unit. Are you speechless? Where does Shannon join your journey? Shannon joined me on day one. Unfortunately, I was at a point that I don't remember a lot on day one um, or day two, three. So she was there during that first period of time where things were just, I was in a very critical state. Let's just put it that way. Um, So at this point in time, she was doing a lot of communicating with my husband. I was heavily sedated, so I don't really remember a lot other than the information that she told me about. Um, And obviously the stuff that my husband relayed to me after I kind of woke up. All right. So the stage is set. We're opening the first page of this chapter. Shannon, what was it like treating an SLP, especially a speechless one? Well, I remember when Vanessa first arrived at the hospital where I work, And she was so young and they had said, we don't know what's going on, but she has a breathing tube and she's coming here to figure out what's the diagnosis and what's going on. I didn't know she was a speech language pathologist until her husband arrived and was telling me her background. I was like, oh no, I got to step up because 
communicating mm-hmm. with someone who has a breathing tube and is on sedation isn't easy in the first place. And I have my own ways of communicating, but then you throw in an SLP who has her own way of communicating. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to have to lighten this sedation up and get her talking in a sense because she's going to go nuts. This is her thing is communication. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was talking about with her husband when she first arrived. So you recognize that her need to communicate was just paramount for her. Yeah, that's the basis of her job. Her passion is helping others communicate, whether through words, actions, writing, special language tools. I know in the ICU I work in, we have a flip book with letters. And I remember showing her the A to Z and telling her, you got to point to every letter Mm -hmm. and spell the word. And she was just like, no, that's not, there's got to be some better way Mm -hmm. to communicate with me because I, this is exhausting. Just spelling one word while your body's working so hard to recover and heal. I mean, she would get out one word and it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. When scenarios like that, opened up and she's exhausted and, and you need to get information. What kind of emotions did you feel? And then how did you settle her down? Yeah, I think initially, and I can only imagine the frustration that she was feeling because she knows the techniques. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm telling myself, she's going to lead me. She's going to explain something, how to communicate. And I just, she was frustrated. I think I was getting frustrated with the word boards. And, you know, luckily her husband was there because Mm -hmm. they have this innate sense of communication that I think comes with just being around someone for years and understanding, you know, a slight twitch of the eyebrow or kind of an eye roll that someone else might not (laughs) notice. And he would just say, you know what, we're going to have to just take a break because he knew when she was frustrated. So I would mm-hmm. often look to him to explain her emotions and to her to figure out what she was trying to tell me. So I love how you approach Vanessa or any of your patients, I'm sure, as what is important to this patient. And I love also how you pull in the caregiver into the care that you're giving. I know Vanessa's talked a lot about the importance of having her husband included in these conversations. Vanessa, that was just something so important to you, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He knows me better than anybody. Well, maybe my mom as well. But yeah, like Shannon says, you know, your spouse, the person that you're with, they can read your body language. They can read that eye roll. They can read the facial expressions. You know, I was so heavily sedated, but I think if anybody's going to know you, it's going to be your spouse. Or if you're even younger, it's going to be your mom, dad. Were there ever any moments, Shannon, where there was more of a medical crisis and you needed Vanessa to be able to say something? How did you overcome that challenge? I think one time I do remember was the first time she had gotten out of bed and she still had the breathing tube. And we were pushing, you know, and by this time, we had pretty much turned off all the sedation, just kind of intermittent meds for anxiety or pain, but nothing keeping her in a induced coma. And we said, it's time to walk, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was so nervous because she hadn't been out of bed for a couple days. And who knows how long 
she was in bed in the other hospital without doing any exercise. So we came up with almost like at the dentist when they're in your mouth and you can't talk. And they said, (laughs) if you need a break, hold up your hand like a stop sign and we'll pause. So here we go, getting her out of bed with the ventilator and she had to use a walker and she's this young woman kind of stumbling down the hall chased by all this medical equipment. And there's me saying, put your hand up when you need a break. And finally we made it right out of the room and she put her hand up and I was like, that's it. Get the chair. We're going to have a five minute break. And I just think that the planning of communication and thinking about what could potentially go wrong in the situation and both parties knowing how to stop an action or change course quickly really helped because she could have we didn't know the conversation and the signs, you know, could have fallen, Mm -hmm. her breathing tube could have come out. And just the planning part was so important in that situation. Mm -hmm. Good insight. So what would you say is your greatest strength then as an ICU nurse? Wow. That's a really interesting question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about that. I think I have a deep level of compassion for everyone who comes into the ICU. Whether or not you're my patient in the bed, you're a family member, you're a coworker, I just make sure that you leave my ICU better than when you arrived. Mm -hmm. And the personal connections I make with people is so important to me. I really think I pay very close attention to these small signs, facial twitches, you know, little movements that patients make. And that really drives my nursing intuition to know if my plan of care is going in the right direction or not. And that attention to details really developed over my years as a critical care nurse. So for the new SLP, the graduate student or somebody transitioning into the medical setting, what words of advice do you have for developing that empathy and that rapport with the patient or and their family? Yeah, I think especially after the COVID pandemic, where a lot of hospitals almost turned into prisons and no family and no visitors were allowed, you know, mostly for good reason. But I think it's time to welcome visitors back into the hospital, especially close family members, because you can learn so much about that patient from their family member who brought them in, who knows their history, you know, those innate signs you know, if something looks different than what it did at home, oh, her mouth isn't usually drooping like this, you know, but Vanessa always had this head tilt because of her one-sided weakness. And it almost became normal to see this head tilt. And her husband would always be like, that's not normal for her. She doesn't usually cock her head to the right, you know? So just being able to know. And I think as a new SLP, you got to do all the talking too. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly interviewing and triaging, but it's important to let the patient speak as well and to give that person time, especially in the ICU. Think of the whole person, all the medications they're on, maybe sedation, maybe not. Give that person time to react to your questions and to your interview because they do have something to say, even if they can't talk. 
So for communicating with a speechless patient, what would you like the speech pathologist specifically to know other than, I love the cues you've given. Is there anything else you can add about building rapport with a speechless patient? I really think a lot of care and compassion comes from physical touch as well. Mm. And sometimes just, you know, if it's safe, that skin to skin, if you can remove your gloves, touch your patient's face, hold their hand while you're talking to them, you know, rub their back or their shoulder a little bit and reassuring them that where they're at right now in their life is okay. You know, maybe they can't talk, maybe they can't swallow or eat a complete meal, but that's okay. And everyone here is there to support them. And everyone really does have something to say. I do think that we've kind of lost that the past couple years, the, the human touch. And I, I wish that would come back a little bit more to nursing. Vanessa, I know you have some thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, when she was talking about the human touch, it reminds me of a previous podcast we talked about where that human connection and touch and that really resonated with me because that was one of the things that I felt like really lifted me up. It lifted my spirits. Nurse Laura was even talking about um, when she gave me a foot massage and rubbed lotion on my feet and that human touch, it lifted me up. It made me feel good. It calmed me. And I think that's really important what she was just saying about what's happened in the world in the past two years and how we've lost that touch and that, that physical and embracing your patients like that, even the patient's families being able to like shake hands with them. And since, since the hospitals have lost it, I do think that's really sad. And I would really, I would love to see that come back in some way. I don't know if it is, I'm not in the hospital setting now, which is a blessing, but I do, I do agree with all of that. I think that's really important. Um, it helps gain rapport too. It helps the patient trust you. It gives them that buy-in that, okay, this person really cares about me. This person's really here advocating for me. They really truly do care. So the next question is for both of you as well. We've talked about what it's like from the nurse's perspective. We've talked about what it's like, what we would advice we would give to speech pathologists. What advice do you have for the speech pathologist to give to the patient who's lying in the bed that's speechless? Well, here's the thing. Speech pathologists should know, right? Or speech pathologists. I would say that, you know, patients, I was a patient being patient with the patients, letting, letting them get their words out. But I would hope that the speech pathologist would know to, you know, give them time and let them process their emotions, let them take their time to get their words out. Because a lot of them, me included, uh, you have a lot to say. You have a lot mm -hmm. of questions. Gosh, yeah, you know? Lisa, I agree with you. I just think having patience with people who can't get their words out, who can't vocalize what they're feeling, who can't ask for what they need. You know, so much communication is body language and responsiveness and just reassuring that person that, you know, just because you can't make sounds that form words, I know you have something to say and I'm here to listen and just support that person emotionally. I, I mean, that's one good thing about COVID, if there's anything, it definitely brought to the forefront the importance of mental health. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't imagine not being able to talk to make my needs known or having to write everything down all the time. It, it just sounds exhausting. You know, I know you're frustrated. I know you're tired, but your needs are important to me and I'll stay here until I can figure them out. Wow, that I'm sure a patient would be very grateful to hear. 
absolutely that um like she said letting the patient know that i'm here i'm not leaving yep um i have all the time in the world for you to let me know what it is you need i'm not leaving just and you know pull up a chair next to them hold their hand mm-hmm. and just sit there and, and let them take their time to process what they need to ask sometimes they have very scary questions to ask mm-hmm. and they need somebody to just sit there and you know almost grieve with them mm-hmm. and hold their hand through the process and giving the time and the space to process it think about it ask questions and that process unfortunately could take half hour hour who knows i don't know but all of that is is so so important to attend to the physical as well as the medical and the emotional health as well. Mm-hmm. Shannon, you, you know, you talked before about the hand signals you had, you know, if we need to stop, put your hand up. And then you talked about the alphabet flipboard. If you could create an augmentative system for a medical setting, what would you be sure to include? Well, I think that the flipboards are easy to use. I think that pictures with some common words are always helpful. Um, you know, like bathroom or pain, you know, somebody may be grimacing and they can point to pain. Jeez, I don't really know what else other than hand signals for my other patients that have breathing tubes that can't talk. Mm-hmm. I often ask them to just give me a thumbs up. Can you hear me? Give me a thumbs up. Are you thirsty? You know, people who have breathing tubes can't drink And they often have really dry mouth from all the meds and everything. And that's kind of the first thing I think of when patients are looking uncomfortable is they're probably just dry. I don't know what other tools we could use out there in the ICU. It's an interesting situation where the medical needs are so high and the communication needs can be so low. So think of how it is working alongside speech-language pathologists. From a nursing perspective, how does that work? Yeah, so we have SLPs that see our patients in the ICU and they come by. Most of the time they are consulted and see patients in my ICU that have just had their breathing tubes removed or that have new tracheostomies, which are breathing tubes in part of the neck kind of to simplify it um, to help the patient breathe. And those are more permanent. Mm -hmm. And with those types of tubes, the patient can eat uh, and the speech language pathologist teaches them how to do it and also how to talk again. Because if you think about the airflow, right, it goes out through the trach and it doesn't pass through the vocal cords, so there's no sound. I think another really important thing that our SLPs do is cognitive therapy. There's a huge disconnect between physically making it out of the ICU and cognitively making it out of the ICU. Mm -hmm. Someone's vital signs might be great. You know, their infection is on the mend. Physically, they're looking great. But in their minds, they they have delirium. They're confused. Their sleep-wake cycle is off. They need some help mentally. And unfortunately, oftentimes, I, I just don't have time to do that. And our SLPs come in and do cognitive behavioral therapy with them, with questionnaires and, you know, almost like retraining the brain to put A and C together mm-hmm. by getting to B. And that is so important to me because I, I can mend someone physically and, and get them. Maybe I can get them home from the ICU. That's great. But if they're so confused and anxious mm-hmm. and scared all the time, ha- have I really done my job? Is, is this a good quality of life? And the SLPs really come in and I think help 
prevent delirium and treat it. Mm-hmm. And increasing their chance and success of staying home. Yeah, exactly. Right. And not bouncing back mm-hmm. or living with, you know, fear of coming back to the hospital. It can be scary. I'm sure Vanessa knows it is scary being in the ICU. I'm scared sometimes. But, you know, as a patient, I just can't imagine waking up and the stranger being in your room. And I, I don't know, I, it must be really frightening. In previous episodes, I had mentioned that I was in a trauma unit and the nurses, when they came into the room, it felt like they were coming into just my little area. That was my little bubble because that's all I had. That's all I could do. Um, Vanessa, what was it like when anybody approached your bed that you didn't know? Were you any strategies or recommendations for body posture, eye gaze, smiles, things like that? How did you know? When people I didn't know came in the room, it always just made me anxious. What are they here for? What are they, what are they going to tell me? Are they going to tell me very bad news? Are they going to bring good news? You know, it was just always an anxiety-provoking thing for me. I would say going back to that body contact, mm-hmm. coming into the patient's room, standing bedside, don't stand eight feet away. Stand bedside, hold the patient's hand. You know, maybe if they're crying, offer them a Kleenex. You know, that proximity too, I think that lessens the patient's fears, anxiety, just by coming up to them and holding them, touching them on the arm, you know, that, you know, introducing yourself. Hey, I am Dr. So-and-so. I am, you know, you're whatever. I think that, that like we've mentioned too in previous podcasts, that helps with the buy-in too and gaining that that trust with the nurse or the, the doctor. I've said this a million times and I'm going to say it one more time because this is my final podcast, but the team at UCSD, they are phenomenal. They, they all just knew exactly what I needed, what to say, when to say it, how to approach me, what I needed, even when I couldn't communicate. They somehow were able to read between the lines and know that, hey, she needs her feet rubbed right now or hey, she, <laughs> she needs sedation or she just needs a clean or maybe, maybe we all just need to leave the room and let her just cry for 10 minutes. I always felt like my needs were being met there. I always, as scary as it was, they were just phenomenal. They were an amazing team. And trust me, I had dozens of people coming into my room that I didn't know what they were there for, what kind of tests they wanted to run or what their titles were. But somehow I always had a sense of security and feeling that I was going to be treated with respect and they would always be fighting for me and always by my side. And here they are all three years later, still mm-hmm. by my side. It says a lot about the there makes me emotional. <laughs> I know you're getting to me here, Vanessa. <laughs> I think I just, everything you're saying is so right though. Like even something as simple as what side of the bed do I approach? You know, I mean, for someone who can't lift their head and look to the right, if you're standing on that side of the bed and talking to them, they can't even look you in the eye or see who you are. You know, get down to their level or raise the bed up, go to the correct side of the bed and, and think about what's best for them, not what's convenient for me all the time. And just look them in the eye and say, I'm a nurse and I'm here to take care of you. I think it's so reassuring to hear that. I always... When you said raise your bed or go to their their level, even when I'm working with my young children at the school setting, 
I always bend down and I get at their level and I look them in the eye. Um, you know, whether they're four, five, six, seven, eight, I always try to get eye level. So Shannon, hearing you say that, that reminds me of me and what I do in my job. And it is very true. It's, I get on their level and I communicate with them. And I think it builds that rapport with the patient or student if you work with kids. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote that says something like people don't care until they know that you care or probably slaughtering that. I should get, I should write that down. Cause I, I say that all the time, but when people know we care mm-hmm. and, and in intensive care unit, you or acute care or rehab or outpatient or school systems, wherever people want to know you care. And that comes through loud and clear with you, Shannon. Oh, thanks. Any final comments? I think everything was covered and it's been a great journey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all your comments, Vanessa. That just means so much to me to hear that, you know, just the acknowledging of my work and everyone's work at the hospital, because we really are rooting for all of our patients, you know, no matter where you come from, what you look like, who you love, whatever, we want you to get out of that bed and walk out of the ICU. And we know it's not always possible, but You know, we always try to communicate that love and that compassion and empathy to our patients. And just the the fact that I was able to do that with you, Vanessa, even though you couldn't really tell me, yes, I feel it, you know, just it means so much. And it's really improved myself as a nurse and probably as a mom taking care of you. So thank you so much for having me on. It's really great to reminisce about such a great time in my career. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You know, when I was there and especially since I got out, I've always, it's kind of been my mission to always make sure my team understood how much what you guys did for me. I know from working in the schools as a speech pathologist that often your job, you get overlooked. Sometimes you have really bad days, rough days. You go home and you often think, gosh, why am I doing this? Um, And you're often not appreciated. And I know that from my own job. And I just, it's always been my goal to make sure everybody on my team knew how much both Dale and I appreciated everyone. You guys just rose to the challenge and went above and beyond our expectations and forever grateful. So I want everybody listening to hold on to that hope that what you are doing as a speech pathologist is making a difference. Whatever setting you're in, that you may have somebody who can't say their gratitude back or, or you know, whatever's holding them back, but you are making a difference as, this, as evidenced by this podcast episode today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a special, Vanessa, this has been a gift you've given us in our field. You've been brave, you've come forward, you've been honest and transparent, and I cannot wait for your book to come out. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to go on this journey with you and share my story. It's incredible. So, hey, SLPs, that concludes this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Please visit my website at freshslp.com, follow me on Instagram, or jump on Facebook to connect in our safe and friendly Fresh SLP community, where we are empowering new and transitioning SLPs. 
If you found value in this episode or in any way had an aha moment or I gave you a fresh perspective, please show me some SLP love and support me on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or subscribe to me on YouTube. You got this.